listening to another sermon podcast presented by Chelsea Presbyterian Church. Located in Chelsea, Alabama, we value community, fellowship, and love for people from all walks of life. For more information, find us online at www.chelseaprez.org or check us out on Facebook. All right, we are entering a brand new series at our church. We've just come out of uh, the Gospel of John. Then we went to 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. Then we went into what we call our generosity series. I'm just talking about the idea of not just our money, but just being generous with our lives and our resources. And now we're in a brand new series called Prophets, Heroes, and Kings. And we're going to be looking at the books of 1st and 2nd Samuel here. Some of the stories in the series that we'll come across, you're going to be familiar with, like uh, maybe David and Goliath, something like that. Some of the stories that we're going to... We're going to um, talk about you probably are not going to be but all of these stories and one of the things I hope that we all walk away with even though we're looking at these stories in the Bible in this way is that we will be constantly reminded of God's provision God's faithfulness his power and his love for his people that he continues even when his people rebel even when they go astray even when they worship other gods God is faithful and he continues to do that so let's look at our passage for today, and uh, we're only going to actually look at uh, the first paragraph at first, and then we'll come back and read the rest of them later from different chapters in that. The sermon title today is The Rise of Samuel. So we're going to figure out who this Samuel character is coming on the scene here. So it's printed in the order of worship. We're taking it from 1 Samuel 1. Uh, Probably easier today for you to look in the order of worship than to try to follow along in your Bible. But uh, it's there for you if you need to do that. Hear the word of God. The man Elkanah and all his house went up to offer to the Lord the yearly sacrifice to pay his vow. But Hannah did not go up, his wife. For she had said to her husband, as soon as the child is weaned, I will bring him so that he may appear before the presence of the Lord and dwell there forever. And the child was young. They're talking about Samuel here. The child was young. And they slaughtered the bull, and they brought the child to Eli, who was the priest. And she said, Oh, my Lord, talking to Eli, as you live, my Lord, I am the woman who is standing here in your presence, praying to the Lord. And this child I prayed, and the Lord has granted me him my petition that I had made him. Therefore, I had lent him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he is lent to the Lord, and he worshiped the Lord they are talking about Eli. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Father God, uh, help us today to see a bigger picture of what you have done in the past, what you are doing now as a result of that. And as we look at these different people, may we look through them to see, most of all, who you are and what you have done for your people in a world that continually disappoints us and has from the beginning in the history of the world. Lord, help us to rest in your faithfulness. In Jesus' name, amen. So the books I'm going to be preaching on uh, through this fall, First and Second Samuel, uh, are going to look a lot different than what we've seen here just lately. Uh, it's got a lot of elements of what I would call a great story or even what you would look for in a great movie. Uh, something for everyone. When you look at the books of the Bible, they're raw, especially in the Old Testament here. They're stories that contain violence and romance and power plays and betrayal, and royalty, and battles, and heroes. I mean, you name it, the whole gamut of who we are as humans 
and what we long for to see in a story. But here's what makes it so amazing. It's easy to see these and think they're way off and it almost like feels like they're, they're not real. But this is actually history. These are actually real people in real time in real geographical places of where this is happening in First and Second Samuel. Now, to fully understand what's going on today, it may help for us to go to the first part of our order of worship to our quote. Uh, and we usually do this somewhere in the middle of the sermon. We're doing it at the beginning of the sermon today. By the way, that meditation is really made for you to come in and when you get ready to worship, kind of read over and ponder before we enter our worship time. So just think about that in the future. But here we go. Uh, this is by Keith Botter. He's got a, a great uh, commentary on First and Second Samuel, but, but he's trying to give us a context here. So in the Bible, we have history books. One of them is Judges, and look what he says. The book of Judges, which is before First Samuel, ends with the line, In those days there was no king in Israel, and every man did what was right in his own eyes. Does that suggest that once a king arrives, that Israel will get better? Or worse, the last sentence of Judges functions as a transition to the story of the beginning of kingship recounted in First and Samuel. So Judges kind of left us with a cliffhanger here. And now we have, we're picking up history again. And the book of Judges is interesting because of the, the history book right before what we're about to do. You, you see these cycles of God's people. And you better understand this to know what's about to happen in First and Second Samuel. You see these cycles of God's people. It's the same thing in Judges over and over and over again. God's people, Israel, begins to seek after these other gods and begin to serve these gods. Then they find themselves in bondage with these nations of the gods that they are worshiping. And then they get to the end of the rope in desperation and they cry out to God. And God comes in again and again and rescues them in a surprising way. That's a spoiler for judges. And that's how it all transpires. But the beginning of our story for today is this. We have a setting here where you have a lack of leaders and a void in morality and everyone is doing right in their own eyes. Does that sound a little familiar? It's like I've heard people say in the last decade or so, when we look at our leaders and we look at what's going on in our nation, we're saying we are one of the best nations in the free world. Is this really the best that we can come up with? See, all of this leads to worshiping false gods for the Israelites and even civil wars. This is the setting for the book that we're about to look at. So let's start in the day, look at our story. Let's see how it starts. We're going to look at three points here. We're going to talk about the son of Elkanah. And those three points are in the bulletin. We're going to talk about the sons of Eli, who's actually the priest, and the judgment of Elohim, which is another word for God. So let's look at these today. Let's look at Elkanah, um, the first one here. And uh, this is where we go back to our passages again, that first paragraph that we just read. And it talks about what happened. So here's the thing. In that section that we just read, and we tend to love stories. You ever notice that? We, we tend to love stories of the unexpected, where unexpected people turn out to be the heroes, whether, you know, if Hobbit's the Lord of the Ring or, or Dorothy and the Wizard of Oz or almost every Disney movie that's ever been written. Uh, other stories are intriguing because there's things that you, there, there's these so-called heroes 
that end up turning out to be bad characters or the villain of the stories. You know, movies like The Godfather or The Shining or Fight Club, Star Wars, you name it, all of those. This is what we like about movies and stories with these little twists in there. Why? Because it's what humanness is about. So let me give you a little background to this story. The book of 1 Samuel starts with a husband and a wife, Elkanah and Hannah. And the genealogy starts with Elkanah, the, the dad, the husband, so you think he's going to be the main player, but Hannah's going to be the one that steals the show. And she is barren. She can't have children. She's desperately hoping that she can have children in her life. So Elkanah and Hannah are actually faithful people. And on one occasion they go to the temple to worship, and Hannah starts praying to God. And she says to God, if you will just allow me to get pregnant, I will give my son over to full-time ministry and service to you. And she was so passionate that, that, that she was praying and she was so animated in her prayers that the Bible says uh, in some of the passages that are related to this that she was not saying anything out loud. She was moving her lips to the point where Eli the priest came in and said, woman, lay off the bottle. You're drunk. And this is what she was doing. She was praying so hard and so animated about it. And then what we're going to discuss later with Eli, we'll talk more about that. But, but anyway, so here's where we're picking up here in this passage. She has a son that God gives her. She's barren. She cannot have children. And God gives her a child. And she names him Samuel, which means Lord of God. And as soon as he's old enough to live without his mother, she makes good on her promise to God. And she gives him into full-time service at the temple, which is basically the tabernacle in a permanent place at that time. And Eli is so moved by the story. As we see here, it says in the last of that paragraph, he worshiped God when he heard that story. Powerful story. It comes to praise God. See, there's a reminder here at the beginning of 1 Samuel that many times in the history of the world, God starts major movements with minor players. And it usually begins with people just in, in places that you would never expect, just being faithful in God, with God in small ways. And we're going to have more on that later. So uh, let's continue here. Look at point two, the sons of Eli. Eli's the priest. Don't forget that. Samuel's the young boy in the story. Eli is the priest. And we're going to talk about his sons now. Two households, Samuel's household, Eli's household. Now the sons of Eli were worthless men. They did not know that the Lord had come there. And the sin of the young men was so great in the sight of the Lord, for the men treated the offering of the Lord. By the way, they're priests too. If Eli's a priest, your sons became priests. They're priests. And so he treated the offering of the Lord with contempt. That's what the sons did. And Samuel was ministering before the Lord, a boy clothed in a linen ephod. And his mother used to make for him a little robe that he would take. She would take each year when they would go up for their yearly sacrifice. Then Eli would bless Elkanah, Samuel's father, and his wife, Hannah, and say, May the Lord give you children by this woman for the petition that she asked of the Lord. So then they would return home. Indeed, the Lord visited Hannah, and she conceived and bore three sons and two daughters. And the boy, Samuel, who we talked about before, 
grew in the presence of the Lord. Now, Eli was very old. And he kept hearing all the things that his sons were doing, all of Israel, and how they lay with the women who were serving at the entrance of the tent of the meeting. And he said to them, why are you doing such things? I hear your evil doings among all the people. No, my sons, it's no good report that I hear that the people of the Lord are spreading around about me. If someone sins against man, God will mediate for him. But if someone sins against the Lord, who can intercede for them? But they would not listen to the voice of their father. For it's the will of the Lord to put them to death. And the, the boy Samuel continued to grow in stature and in favor with the Lord and also man. Again, just a reminder. So here you have Eli, the, the high priest. His sons are priests too. Here you have this young boy, Samuel, that's, that's been dedicated by his mom. And they're all in the tabernacle, the, the temple at the time, together. Now we mentioned Eli earlier, but now we're getting a bigger picture of his family. They are worthless. First of all, he has these two sons, and they're corrupting the offering that's given to the sacrifices that people are supposed to do in obedience to God. And the way they're doing it is like this, and I didn't have, we don't have time to put every verse in here on that, but they would take the meat sacrifices that people were going to give, and God had planned it for take care of his priests by allowing them to have the leftovers from what the offering was. Instead, they decided they were going to take the first of what they wanted from the meat before it was offered to God. They were basically stealing from the people and stealing from God. And if the people didn't like it, they would take it by force. There are a bunch of thugs here. Not only that, but they're sleeping with the ladies that worked in the temple. And everybody in the country was hearing about it. They had this notorious reputation throughout the countryside. And Eli tries to warn them. They just won't listen. But instead of Eli taking more drastic measures and intervening before God has to, he actually basically just lets them continue after a little slap on the hand. Well, let's circle back down to Samuel here. So we, we had this little boy that was given by his parents into full-time service in the temple. Now, this is almost comical if it wasn't so tragic. I mean, think about it. Every year, Samuel's mom is bringing him his little robe, like a little priest that he's walking around wearing the same things that the other, the other priests are wearing, these little white robes. Now, not all the ceremonial stuff that the priests wear, but here he is walking around like a little man, you know, in this little robe in that way, and just, just being faithful every day in service to the temple. He's just doing the little stuff. He's doing the grunt work nobody else will touch. Little guy in there. And here are these grown men, instead of Samuel being this little man, grown men acting like children in the Lord's temple. What a contrast that we see already here. And I would say at this point, when you look at the Bible, it's amazing. And we should, you should already be thinking this. Amazing how God uses people that society would deem powerless and weak, like barren, a barren woman and a young child. And they have some of the most value. Why? Because many times in the Bible, and you'll see this many times in the history of the world, many times in our society, the things that you look at, like power and status and money, tend to corrupt, especially as we get older. See, God is in the business 
of using the humble in his kingdom. The people that are willing to just be faithful in the small things. If you're here today and you feel unqualified for some way, unqualified to serve God, you're probably one of the most qualified people, right? The people I want, I've asked people to do things all the time. They're like, man, I don't think I could ever be in this leadership role in the church. And I'm like, that's why I want you. <laughs> it's the people that think they've got it all that I'm like, uh, yeah, you need to work on serving for a little while in that. That's the dynamic that we're going to see over and over in the Bible, that you see over and over in the Bible, and we're going to see over and over in First and Second Samuel. But let's look at the final point here. The judgment of Elohim. Basically the judgment that God places. And let's see how he delivers this message. And the Lord called Samuel again the third time, and he rose, and he went to Eli. Remember, Samuel's the little boy, Eli's the priest. <laughs> so the Lord's calling Samuel. He doesn't know it yet. And he uh, arises and he goes to Eli and he says, Here am I for you called me. And Eli perceived that the Lord was calling the boy. So immediately we have this scene. Samuel's getting a little older. And he goes up and he's lying in bed at night. You know, probably around age 12, 13. We don't know for sure, but somewhere around there. And he hears this voice like, Samuel. And he gets up and he goes to Eli. Eli's like, What are you doing in here? He's like, I heard you call me. Eli's like, I didn't call you. He does it like three times. And so here's where we are here. This is finally Eli's like, okay, there's something more going on here. Then Eli perceives that the, the Lord was calling the boy. Verse 9. Therefore Eli said to Samuel, go lay down. And if he calls you, you say, speak, Lord, for your servant hears. And Samuel went and he lay down in his place. And the Lord came and stood, calling him as other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, Speak, your servant hears. And then the Lord says to Samuel, Behold, I'm about to do a thing in Israel at which the two ears of everyone that hears it will tingle. On that day, I will fulfill against Eli all I had spoken concerning his house from beginning to end. And I declare to him that I'm about to punish his house forever for the iniquity that he knew because his sons were blaspheming God and he did not restrain them. Therefore, I swear to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house will not be atoned for by the sacrifice or for offering forever. Now, this is a pivotal point in Samuel's life. At, at this point, he's been that little little guy walking around in the robe in the temple, and, he, and he's coming of age, getting older here. And then, uh, it's not only pivotal in his life that the Lord's talking to him here, but also Eli's life, obviously, and the whole nation of Israel because he's talking about the spiritual leaders of the nation here. God's about to clean house. And he lets his people know by speaking through a young boy. For lack of time of space in the beginning of the story is not here. See, we talked about that. He's lying in bed. But the third time, Eli gets it. And he thinks it's most likely the voice of God. And he tells Samuel how to answer then God says to Samuel, what I'm about to tell you, when others hear it, it will be so provocative and so radical that both their ears will tingle. You know what that means? It's that sensation that you get when, when you hear or somebody else hears some earth-shattering news and you kind of fill it in your ears and all of a sudden your eyes get about as big as pop plates. You know, that's, that's what he's talking about is going to happen here. That's what's about to happen. What is the news and why is it such a big deal? Well, it's a message of doom and gloom 
And it has everything to do with Eli's house and everything to do with Israel of cleaning house and saying, I'm tired of what's happening with the leaders. Even my priests are blaspheming me. I'm liking it clean. Two contrasting houses here at the beginning of the story. We're going to see this a lot in different ways. Faithful worshipers, corrupt worshipers. The problem with Eli's sons wasn't that they were worshiping false gods. Notice that. See, they were priests with the sole function was to represent people by way of protecting the proper worship of God, the proper ways that the people should worship God, the way they should approach God with humility, understanding the holiness of God. Instead of worshiping God, they were worshiping themselves. Here's what I'm talking about. They weren't worshiping false gods. They were corrupting the worship of the true God. They decided it would be defined fine. They, in their mind, they said, it will be fine to worship God whatever way I want to, but most of all in a way that exalts me. That's about the experience that I get out of it. And it caters to me instead of God. And we do this all the time in the way we think about worship. We don't always mean it this way, but we do. It's like the story I've told you all before of the worship leader. When he was about to leave the church building, somebody walked by and said, you know, I didn't really get a lot out of worship today. It really didn't strike me. And the worship leader turned and said, good thing we weren't worshiping you. <laughs> so the, uh, but, but that's, that's the thing, right? This is what they were doing. Uh, we, a lot of times we want, to, we want to think, our first thought is, what am I getting out of it? Am I being entertained? Versus saying, is this worship that really and truly exalts God for who he is? And would he be pleased with this instead of, am I pleased with it? Second thing is this, Eli, what's, why is he in trouble? What's the big deal with him? He's already corrected his sons because he's just being passively involved. He's sitting back as a father and says something every once in a while when it irritates him or he hears about it from the neighbors, but he doesn't intervene. He doesn't discipline his sons. He lets them go away. He's not correcting them. He's letting them continue, allowing God to be blasphemed. And God's had enough with Eli, too. The story's just getting started. There's going to be much more. You're like, wow. Yeah, that's the first one. Yeah, we got like 12 weeks of this, but anyway, we'll talk more about that later. But the story's just getting started. There's going to be so much more, but here's the thing. All of, throughout the stories that we're about to see and about to enter into, and it's also true of life too, you are about to, in some of these stories, get your hopes up only to be dashed. You're going to fall in love with people in this story. Only and, and people that look like heroes, and you say, "Oh yes, finally somebody's going to get up out of this." Only to have your heart broken. You're going to want to get behind these leaders that look like God-given savior to the world, only to be devastatingly disappointed. That's not just about First and Second Samuel. That's our lives. This has been going on for the history of the world, the history of humanness, but also the real story of God. The Bible doesn't sugarcoat these things. God's always here to remind you, though, that many times your lack of faith in Him is not because of things He hasn't done, but that you're surrounded by people that you put hope in that disappointed you. Don't put that on God. See, there's only one God, and this is really the point of the day, and we'll see this more. There'll be a lot more points after this uh, as we enter the search. There's only one God you can trust. There's only one man that can really serve as your Savior without reservation 
and hesitation that will never break your heart and never cause you to get your hopes up in vain. Anyone else and anything else will let you down. That's why we go back again and again to Jesus. He's the only one that's not going to disappoint you. He's the only King of Kings. That's why he's called that. The Savior of the world. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for the reminder today that when we put our hopes in leaders of this world, uh, all, we're always going to be disappointed. Help us to see our leaders for who they are or not. Um, there's always the tension that you call us to of submitting to leaders as long as they're within moral bounds, respecting them, but also help us not to see them as somebody that's going to save us. Um, Lord, help us to making, make other people in our life Jesus. Uh, Lord, uh, help us from playing that role in people's lives. Whether it's me as the pastor of the church, other people as the congregants looking at me, looking at one another in the church. Lord, we are going to be disappointed. We're going to have to ask for forgiveness. We're going to have to repent. We're going to have to lower our expectations. Understanding that only Jesus can be what our hearts really want. Even in our marriages. Lord, I'm not enough for my wife. Lord, but you are. Help us to plug all our affections that we have around us into you and not into one another. And then we can love each other well, and then we can see its value for each other's life and give them human dignity for what they are, but also for what they're not. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you've enjoyed today's sermon. We want to remind our listeners that our doors are always open at Chelsea Presbyterian Church, and we invite all our listeners to join us for worship. You can visit us at 1030 on Sunday mornings at Chelsea Middle School. To hear more of our sermons from our church or for more information, you can find us online at www.chelseaprez.org or check us out on Facebook.